0: Uh, as we read, we're in John chapter, uh, well, mainly three today, so if you haven't kept your finger there, please turn to John chapter three, and uh, let's pray to open up the word. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to share your word, Lord. I pray that hearts would be touched and we'd be encouraged in your truth, Lord. It's by your truth we are sanctified. Lord, help us this morning. In Jesus' name. Perhaps, it's not an overstatement to say that the world, in its more charitable opinions, thinks of Christianity as little more than one value meal option among many. I don't know how many How many you know the word value meal still? Is it still used? It was when I grew up. My kids wondered what value meal was, so um, do I have to change my illustration? Um, But I think most of you know. When people come to McDonald's and they see all the options, and I think the world looks at religion that way, as if uh, we just have an array of options and we just pick one. You know, you pick one that works for you. Maybe today it's a number two, supersized with a Coke, and tomorrow it could be a number three if you're that risky, supersized with a Sprite. but what's not understood about Christianity is it's holy and completely different. It doesn't compare with any of the other religions. It is supernatural at its core. And it's good to be reminded of this. It's not just an incidental add-on, a supersize me, a slight tweak or an update to character or motivations. No. It's a revamping of the entire self. Nothing, as I've said, compares with it. it is the, as the Bible calls it, a new birth. So our text today is John 3, and the new birth. Wonderful passage. My studies took me every which direction, and I don't have time today. I was told I had 55 minutes, so I'm going to try not to go. You're laughing, Charlie. Charlie was assigned with the hook, the, the thing that you grab people by the neck when they're, when they're going over. I, I personally assigned him, so if I go astray, he's going he's to save us all. Um, but I want to talk about today, in John chapter 3, this idea of the new birth under three headings. It's in your outline in front of you or your handout. You can feel free to jot some notes. I'll be referring to a number of scripture passages today, so I won't, I won't allow you time to necessarily go there, so just jot those down or you know, re-listen and you can pull up those scripture passages. We have this story here of a man, and I love that preceding section that leads into John 3. Jesus, knowing the hearts of all men, and then it leads in and says, there was a man of the Pharisees, and Jesus knows this man. He knows everything about him. It says in the text in verse 1 that he's a Pharisee. We're all aware of probably that term, a separatist religious group. They were fastidious in their law keeping, uh, even going as far as to take the traditions of men and to make them violate, invalidate the word, the law of God elsewhere. And so Jesus had some strict or strong words rather, to say to the Pharisees. He rebuked them severely. They were known as what we would know as hypocrites. Jesus used the term hypocrite. They offered pretense in public. They had a great show. They dressed well. They probably talked well. They cleaned that outside of the cup or the dish, and yet inside were full of wickedness. Nicodemus, the name means victory of the people. He was not only a Pharisee, but he was also a ruler of the Jews. So this would have been the Sanhedrin, composed or comprised of 70, the greater court, 70, uh, plus one. If there was a tiebreak needed, that would be the high priest. This was a legislative and judicial assembly to judge matters for Israel. And so this Nicodemus is one of attainment, He is, uh, well, in this passage, he's old. We don't know exactly how old. But if he was somebody that you needed to have married off to a daughter still, he would be maybe one you might look at. Had you not heard Jesus' strict condemnation of, uh, of Nicodemus. And it says here in our text today, this man came to Jesus at night. Now, there's been some uh, uh, discussion around that term, night. It may go deeper than I'll suggest today. Certainly, John does use imagery of darkness and light. And so, John, we understand everybody in sin is in darkness until they come to Christ. So, there may be that. But we'll just take it for what it says. he came at night, and he came at night as he was cautious, He had heard, it says in our text, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with them. So he's heard of the greatness of Jesus, the miracles that he's done, and he is curious. Certainly he wants to avoid a railing judgment against himself by the group that he's a part of, the Pharisees, he would would know that as a way not to win friends and influence people. So he would avoid that out of caution, but perhaps he gets um, less positive light And if we look at this. He may have, for maybe a more positive reason, avoided meeting Jesus that day because he has those who follow him. And he's just simply being careful for their sake as well. And that leads us to think, our own lives. How are we, as an aside, how are we walking? Who are we listening to? What are we doing? Who are we lending our support to, our show of support? And those that are under us, in our sphere of authority, influence, whatever, our kids, family, those we witness to, what do they see in our lives? And we have to be careful. So I think there's part of that probably as well. Nicodemus is being cautious. We see in uh, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him. Now, it's interesting. There, were, uh, there was some comment made that he had not asked a question at this point. But it says, Jesus answered him. Um, I, I had read, and I'm inclined to think it's, uh, it's, it's very possible, We do know that Jesus knows the hearts of all men. That was the preceding text in the the end of John chapter 2. Nicodemus, with all his attaining, with all his instruction, climbing the ladder, as it were, spiritually, and yet, perhaps, and we have to read between the lines here, we don't know, but perhaps he realized something was amiss, something wasn't right. And so perhaps in the back of Nicodemus' mind is a question, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, and yet I'm still in darkness. How do I see the kingdom of God? That may have been a question in the back of his mind. We don't know, but certainly Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart. Excuse me, his heart. And so he stops Nicodemus' As it were, it's pretty abrupt. And he says, he uses the term twice. uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That leads to my first point. The new birth required. We have here in Scripture... Jesus saying, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This applies to everybody for all time. So we have this statement made. We, we have this must. You must. Whatever it is, Jesus says you must have it. We can quibble over terms if you'd like, however it might be with even the rest of the Bible. But when Jesus says you must have something, you've got to search it out, find out what it is. It's repeated in in verse 7, don't be amazed or marvel in the ESV that you must be born again. So we're commanded to be, well, we're, we're explained here that we must have this. But what's the problem? We heard last time that we're rebels by nature, I don't think this is new to any of us. But if it is, the Bible explains that by nature, and even as Jesus has said here, we cannot see the kingdom of God, that whole sphere, that orb of salvation. We are, the Bible says, and this is where I'm going to throw out some verses and you can write them down, jot them down. We won't have a chance to go to all these, but we are dead naturally to spiritual things. If we're honest with ourselves, we can attest to that. I was, I was walking through this Bible, not this Bible, but a Bible, and I was doing a yearly read, and for me, it was just about getting it done. It didn't mean anything to me. I know I was, now looking back, I realized that's what it was. I had no disposition, no inclination for spiritual things. It says we're dead, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, in transgressions and sins. And Colossians 2, 13 to 14 says the same. Secondly, we do not by nature accept the things of God. Are these hard teachings to receive? I think they, they, they can be, certainly. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians two fourteen that we cannot accept the things of God. Romans 8, 5 Chapter 8 and verse 5 through 9. I'll read that. It says here, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. God. I mean, each of these words here described is really, you just need to feel the weight of these words. The mind set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What is this, in the flesh, in the spirit? It says, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. The Bible everywhere talks about these two opposing sides. This is not simply an array of value meal options. They're all equally valid. No, you're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You have the Spirit of God or you do not. You're in darkness or you're in the light. You pass from death into life. So the Bible says that by nature we cannot see the kingdom. What is this new birth? Well Jesus, uh, excuse me, Nicodemus, he understands what Jesus has said, at least partially when he says J- Jesus had said, "You must be born again." The term again can be rendered as it is there in the ESV again, or it can be rendered from above. Certainly the from above is there when we read later on in verse 7. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there's this idea of being born of God, which is born from above. So regardless of how we uh, translate that word, it's the same. Nicodemus understood it as a again birth. Something new. He's been born physically, and he thinks, well, boy, how do I... Do this, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus is referring to a spiritual reality. I'll submit this definition. I've, I've, I've read a few, but they amount to the same. To be born again, the, the technical term, the theological term that you'll read would be regeneration or the re- Again, generation, gen is birth. How many of you had root word studies when you were kids? I don't know if they still do that anymore. I love that. So you could learn a word just from the root. But regeneration, being born again, uh, the definition is a divine act instantaneously communicating spiritual life. I'll read that again. A divine act instantaneously communicating spiritual life. Nicodemus undoubtedly, he perhaps thought, if he, if he didn't think he was way off base, he may have thought, you know what, I see something that's happening here, Jesus performing these works. I need to find out. Perhaps he's going to give me a pointer. I'm a little off path, and maybe he can direct me a little bit. The words he was given are essentially do over, 100% do over. You're 180 degrees wrong. Uh, That would be a tough thing to hear. How many of you probably, and and you don't have to raise your hand, but have grown up your whole life in a different religious context? I have family members who are like that and have been raised in a different context and to be told it's all wrong, that's hard to hear. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. All of the learning, the, the doing, the attainment, the spiritual understanding... got to start over. You need to be born from above, born again. Paul uses this term, the uh, strict term, the, the narrow term, regeneration only once. It's found only once in the Bible in Titus 3, 5, for the washing of regeneration. But the idea of being a new creation in Christ, of being made alive with Christ is everywhere in our New Testaments and even in the old had Nicodemus been looking. It's referred to elsewhere as life-giving resurrection with Christ, as Robert Raymond would note. It's also uh, mentioned as the divine work of new creation. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. And I'll read that one. There are so many rich passages here. Uh, the, the tough thing is to try to distill the things that I've read and studied and mulled over into a short period of time it's so rich there's so much here and i've gotten into some really good uh some good reading but uh, our verse here second corinthians 5 uh, 17. therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come but i think it's rightly noted that john the apostle is substantially the theologian of the birth from above of course noted in our text today but if you turn back a page to John 1 John chapter 1 and verse 13 and while you're getting that uh, verse I'm going to read a few verses from 1st John 1st John you could read that through and you'll notice and I'm limiting myself here I have to limit because we have t- time to, to be mindful of But in in, uh, 1 John, there is mention of born of God multiple times. Repeated. You can't miss it. 1 John 2.29. So you guys are still over in John chapter 1, but I'll read these. 1 John 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And the same is repeated in 1 John 3, 9, twice, 1 John 4, 7, 1 John 5, 1, twice, 1 John 5, 4, and then 1 John 5, 18 again, twice. But going back to John chapter 1, and let's read from verse, starting at verse 9. Says here, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And verse 13, who were born. That is, those who have believed... Those who have been adopted as sons, they had been born. What? Not of blood. That is, not because your parents are believers. Not of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. So getting back to this idea, the the new birth is a divine act. Instantaneously communicating spiritual life. What I'm trying to get across is that this is God's act, this is not our act. And even the illustration that Jesus uses, to turn back to John 3, if you've left there, the idea of birth. I I would hazard a guess that 100% of you had nothing to do with your, your birth. Am I wrong? That's what we're getting at here. This is God's act. And we see that in John 3, 6, again, that idea of born of the Spirit. But how is this illustrated? Certainly as we're reading today, I'm sure you're thinking of your own lives and the context in which you live and, and how the Lord worked in your life. I love the story of uh, Saul who became Paul, such a vivid story but it's the same for us. As Paul is, is breathing threats and murder on the road to Damascus, he is in darkness. He is fighting against God. And yet God in his mercy shines a light, and Paul is physically blinded. He's already spiritually blind. He would then later receive his sight back and his spiritual sight. It said in the Bible, uh, I'm trying to think of the verse in Acts, but it's when they questioned whether they should be hanging around with Paul, the one who murdered or was at the feet of those who would be, you know, uh, amening the murder of, of believers, dragging those ones off for such. It says, behold, he is praying. Something is different about Paul. We're getting at a new disposition. If you're here today and you, you bump elbows with believers, but you're not a believer, you say, boy, they're different. This is what we're getting at. There is a difference. It's not a superficial thing. It's at its core supernatural. Had Nicodemus understood this, he would have gone back to Ezekiel 36 and verse 25, talking about the putting a new principle within Causing him to follow after God's righteousness, his commands. What else do we see? In this passage, we see that being born again, you then see this kingdom. You see and enter by faith this kingdom of God. Believers, those who are made new, Those who are born again, they love and seek God and His righteousness. They have a new desire within them, and they hate and flee from sin. They, of course, believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of Man, and the Son of God, truly the God-man. Believers love those born of Him. Do you love fellowshipping with the saints? It's something totally different. And we also exhibit in measure, and that's the wonderful thing, we're not not all cookie-cutter Christians. The Lord uses our own personalities. He doesn't obliterate or destroy them by the new birth. Yes, we have a common foundation, we have a common confession, but we're all unique. So in some measure, whatever that is, it's evident. The wind blows where it wishes and what? You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who is of, born of the Spirit. So you'll exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. So we've talked about the new birth required. The new birth explained and illustrated. And lastly, here third, why does this matter? I don't. Know, I've been challenged for a while, uh, listening to uh, some sermons from Martin Lloyd Jones, and he was uh, he preached and emphasized the new birth because he thought in his time it had been lost. The understanding of the new birth as something supernatural was lost—and I think that's true. I mean, speaking largely, you know, in uh, in the world, I think that's that's true. Even in uh, some evangelical churches, perhaps it's not understood. So why does it matter? It matters, I submit. There are others, you probably have some you can think of, but for our witness, number one, for our humility, for our worship and for our growth. For our witness. When we uh, seek to share the gospel of Christ with others, what do we share? Is Is this just another club? Rather than picking that value meal, number two, You just try the number four. See if it suits you. And you know what? It'll make life easy or easier. Live by God's rules. His rules are best. And all those things are true. There is a sense that it does make our way straight, for sure. But the Christian life is also difficult. But if we're just communicating, it's just a club. It's just for enjoying talking to people being superficial, if we eliminate the very fact that it is supernatural at its core, we've missed something. This is amazing. This is the God of the universe breathing life into the soul, raising the dead to life. When we understand it's God's act, perhaps you're thinking, well, then what what am I to do? Well, the the Bible says this that we are to preach Christ and Him crucified. J.C. Ryle said this, it's not our job to convert people, to save people, to convict people, or to convince people. It's our job to tell people. The convincing, convicting, converting, and saving is the work of the Holy Spirit so we can avoid tactics. I don't have to come up with any special words to try to convince you. I don't have to listen to the televangelist on TV who says, if you just employ these methods, I'll guarantee an 80% salvation rate. I have no control over this. This is impossible. So secondly, so first it's for our witness, why it matters. Secondly, for our humility and this humility Because we know it's God's work and not man's work. John MacArthur notes this, regeneration is not for good people, for those who try harder, for those who are more moral or more religious, for those who live better, for those who forsake certain vices, for those who pray a certain prayer. I understand that. That's amazing. I can't make you born again, but the God of the universe can He can give you a new heart. He can make you clean. And it says in our text, the wind blows or it wishes, you hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. This is God's sovereign activity. The preaching of the word is what we do, what you do, and leave it to the Lord to convict hearts of the message and have them awaken from death to believe the message. It's like Jesus when he went to the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. What did he do first? He gave life, that principle of life, that's a good physical analogy of the spiritual reality. He raised him from the dead to then hear and respond to the word spoken. This certainly magnifies God's grace. And as you ponder when you're home, and I'm I'm getting there, we're almost done here. When you go home, think to yourself for a second. This is a serious question. Why do you believe and your neighbor doesn't? Why do they believe, or you believe and they don't? Would you say it's because I was smarter? You know what, I heard the words, he heard the words, I've just got more brain cells bouncing around upstairs. I mean, you wouldn't say that, perhaps. But do we think that? No, in the end, this is God's activity. Putting this new heart within us, this disposition to love the things of God. Let us not make cheap substitutes for God's gracious methods. Thirdly, it matters for our worship. So for our witness, our humility, and our worship. Again, what I'm trying to get across is the new birth is something completely different. And so we have to praise the one who is totally different. As I was mentioning, regeneration is something God does. You thought, well, then what what am I supposed to do? Who then can be saved? If I can't do anything, well, then thanks a lot. You've left me with no options. I hope you haven't heard that truly that way. Jesus had replied that with men it's impossible, but with God it's. All things are possible. Should you be hearing these words today, you can cry out to Him. If you're convicted of your sin before a holy God, we sang about a holy God. The Bible says we're not holy, we're separated from God by our sins. And certainly, if He's made you alive, this also lends to our worship. If He's made you alive, if He's given you of His Spirit, if He's sealed you by His Spirit, certainly He'll keep you to the end. That should be very consoling. And lead us to respond in worship. Lastly, for our growth, it matters for our growth. We can't get along in the Christian life in other words, we can't make progress in holiness if we have not experienced a new birth. You have to get the foundation right or you're building on something else that will not last. So I'm not asking for you to sniff out your spiritual birthday, as it were. Some people, they know the moment, the, the, the date, the time. Others, it's maybe more gradual. They, re, they recognize a season, you know, or, or maybe back when I was young, And that's fine. I'm not asking you to nitpick that date, but I am asking you to take inventory of your heart. Right now. What is less important is the when of the spiritual birth. But what is more important is the fact of it. Jesus said in our text today, you must have this. And so if I were home and was wondering, I might ask myself these questions. In the quietness of your home, where is my heart at, truly, in relationship to God? You know, I thought I was maybe like Nicodemus. I was attaining and learning and growing, and yet there is just there's something not right. Do you enjoy His righteous standard? Do you love His righteousness? Do you seek after Him? Do you yearn to please Him? Do you look for and enjoy the fellowship of the saints? Do you enjoy reading the Bible and praying? All these things. I certainly didn't. I wanted to flee 180 degrees the other way until he had awakened me out of my slumber. For our growth, secondly, and this was one of the burdens that Martin Lloyd-Jones had, is that in his day, and I can say today probably, that it was less understood than it should be the new birth, the idea of being born again. We hear it maybe in culture, you know, born again Christians, that type of thing. But what do we understand about it? He felt, Martin Lloyd Jen- Jones said, it will help us make sense of other doctrines. And that is absolutely true. We'll understand the doctrines of sanctification, of the sovereignty of God, doctrines of grace. Certainly when we recognize that God is sovereign, he's in control of our new birth and it's not man is passive we are recipients of his grace I'm reminded often I I think it's my talk to those that aren't saved but they talk about having trouble with uh, and this is an aside but the miracles of God I think at once if you just settle the first four words of the Bible in the beginning God I mean they would affirm at least offer lip service to the idea that in the beginning God well then what's the problem All these other things fall into place. It's very simple. And that's the way here. If we understand the new birth, there are lots of things that fall into place. So, what do we learn today? We learn that we need the new birth because we are dead by nature, because of Adam's sin, because of his transgression his sin, we inherit that sin nature. We're dead in sin. And we learn that it's a supernatural act of God giving life, spiritual life, to the sinner. We're different. Christians are different, not because we want to be uh, looking down our nose at something. We're just different. We like new things, spiritual things. And we learn that it matters for our witness, our humility, our worship, and our growth. It's an amazing truth. Listen to this uh, hymn stanza as we uh, wrap up here. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose went forth and followed thee. That's what we're pleading for. The light of God into the souls of fallen men. To awaken them to new life. May that be the testimony of all within the reach of these words today. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you and we, uh, we pray these words have been received, Lord, and just for what they are, just the words of God. And uh, we thank you for this Passage, this one uh, that approached Jesus. So we too can hear this story, this uh, true narrative, Lord, how it impacts us. Pray that you go with us this week, help us as we uh, talk with people and share the gospel, that we keep these things in mind of the glorious supernatural nature. That is at the core of the saving faith we have in Christ. Pray all this in Jesus' name.